Welcome to Boys in the 90s. You're listening to Nate and Bob. And Bob, before we get started talking about today's subject, what do you remember about this commercial? Music from Batman and Robin, the motion picture. Bone thugs and army. Ooh, see him at the crossroads. The Smashing Pumpkins. One of the better pumpkin stars. Well, if that is not a who's who of 90s artists. And you know, this is the Goo Goo Dolls are on that. And this is a year before they really got big with that song Iris from City of Angels. Right. But they had already done Name. So they, because, you know, they started as a metal band. And then they had that the Boy Named Goo album with Name on it. Yeah. Which is a great song. And yeah, that's when they started doing the acoustic stuff. But I... <laughs> I had forgotten about that R. Kelly song. <laughs> believe so- me. Yeah. Believe me. I, I went back and, and looked at that soundtrack for Batman and Robin. That's the commercial we just listened to. If we, if he doesn't sound correct to you and the R. Kelly, the R. Kelly song was hilarious to me. It sounds the entire thing almost sounds like a Christmas song <laughs> converted into like a, uh, a Batman song, like almost like he's, it- he's- He's talking about the city of justice, city yeah. of peace. Yeah, exactly. It sounded like a Christmas. I wrote that it sounded like a Christmas song written by the Coca Cola Corporation. <laughs> like, it just it was so like feel goody and like soulful and and nothing. you know what's funny that Smashing Pumpkin song. I was never huge into them. I bought Melancholy and I liked half of the Adore album, which oh that came out in 98 so not so batman and robin came out 97 so happy 25th birthday recently to this technicolor cartoon of a movie but it is my kids favorite batman movie it's also one of the only ones they've seen but that smashing pumpkin song i just remember something i went to the sam goody in north county fair if i remember correctly or it might have been the sam goody do you remember the sam goody that was over by target I bought the CD single of that song there. I think it was like 10 bucks. And you know, what's funny is, you know, there's two versions of that song. Yeah. It's actually, I was going to mention it's booked and ended on the same CD. Like it's the first one's called the end is the beginning is the end. And then that's the one you heard. And then mm-hmm. it goes to the beginning is the end is the beginning. Right. Which got later used in the trailer for Watchmen. Oh, okay. Yeah. They use that in the trailer and that was that was 2009. Hmm. So that the song has some legs. I'm not sure which one I like better. I kind of like the more rockin' yeah. first one. Yeah. So, and the video is a lot of fun. That movie we're going to have to do an entire episode devoted to the Batman movies of the 90s, so I'm not going <laughs> to go into a, a rant about it. Although it did really push my my crush on Uma Thurman. Mm because I'd seen her in Pulp Fiction and this just amplified it. Probably why I have a weird obsession with Poison Ivy now. But it's such a it's such a hodgepodge of of music because you know the first you know the first Batman movie had the Elfman score and the Prince album. Mm-hmm. 
And then the second Batman Returns, which celebrates 30 years last weekend. Happy 30th birthday. It had the Elfman score in one song. It had Face to Face by Susie and the Banshees. And then you hit Batman Forever and it's just everyone and their mother. But that soundtrack is better than the Batman and Robin because the Batman, really, Brandy? Like, I don't even remember <laughs> Malaco. I don't know who they are. Yeah, Maloko was the was the band that I noted that that song you could almost hear on most like weird trailers and like commercials. It was like this kind of funky, almost delight sort of band where like the the style was definitely over the substance. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I noted in that same soundtrack that like okay, there's an R- REM song that's like unknown to me. Well, and this is this is ninety seven. 96 rem which is after bill barry left so they didn't have a real drummer and they were just doing like the drum machine or i don't know maybe peter buck was banging a snare or something but well if you haven't figured out yet we're talking about today about um, our favorite soundtracks or at least our look back in time on soundtracks in general we were huge music and movie fans at the same time and the distribution um, and film companies definitely knew that they were totally marketing towards you know the hip and cool kids and they wanted to like us <laughs> and you know that yes was... we were we were nothing but the hip and cool kids <laughs> all through the 90s i i started off my research on this i i have to do research because i'm not like bob i i don't have a very like encyclopedic brain when it comes to you know, like certain memories and and that's the reason why we're kind of sitting here together is to kind of like bounce memories back and forth because it kind of jogs our memories a little bit too but um i it jogged my memory going back in time because the first time soundtracks i can really think of were like top gun you know and Cino man was one that i bought oh i that popped up when i was i was doing i did 10 minutes of research i think yeah <laughs> don't judge anybody but encino man I can't remember what the track was, but I was like, that was on Encino, man. I think I've only seen that movie once, though, and it was in the theater. It might have been the Vince Neil song because uh, it was like the single that kind of sold the the soundtrack. But I mean, it also had some other ones on there. I made uh, little notes about it later on. Uh, actually, well, actually, I have them right in front of me. There's Vince Neil. There's Cheap Trick. Ooh. There's, there's Queen with... Um, Stone Cold Crazy. Okay. And then famously famously covered by Metallica for the Rubiot album. Right. And remixed by Trent Reznor. Um, and then Crystal Waters is on there <laughs> for no reason. Infectious Grooves is on there. The, the side project of um, ten, uh, Suicidal Tendencies. And, um, <laughs> and that's where the basis for Metallica currently came from. You know, he only wanted a Pepsi. Right. Just wanted a Pepsi. <laughs> And then that's what that was my first that was my introduction to the Edgar Winter groups for for Frankenstein. That song is amazing. Oh no, it's great. And it's um, and then Jesus and Mary Chain was on there with uh, yes, with, that's who it was with Why Do You Want Me? I don't remember it. It's a that's actually one of my favorite Mary Chain songs. It's I think it's a B side, but it was it's one of their acoustic numbers after so after honey's dead they did the stone and dethroned album like we were talking about last episode and they did the duet with hope sandoval but it they did it's an all acoustic album so i'm not sure that might be a b-side from honey's dead it's a good song though if no one listening is really delved into the mary chain they are well worth it yeah definitely 
And then to round off the, the, the album, you have a mixture of Steve Vai, who played Oof. guitar all the way through the Bill and, Tell's, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and then also Tone Loke. <laughs> so speaking, speaking of Tone Loke, uh, I saw an ad pop up and this will be relevant. It's a, I don't know where it is or what date it is. It must be in the Southern California area because Instagram is obviously tracking where I live and what I look at, but it's like Vanilla Ice, Tone Loke, and a bunch of other Arrested Development. It's this I Love the 90s like festival show. I'm pretty sure, you know, everyone will come out and do like two songs. Oh yeah. And I was like, whoa. I mean, it looks like it could be a good time, but. Which reminds me too that I just uh, yesterday on my Facebook feed, there's like some um, group I'm in for 80s and 90s kids or something like that. They posted something with it was New Kids on the Block along with Salt and Peppa and En Vogue, like doing a song together. Oh, and this was like recently, as for like maybe last year. And it was just like some like get together and then they all dressed like in like different music videos back in the day. Like it was real weird. But I'll have to find are, that. Are they still are they still going by NKOTB or they've reverted to the new kid's name? I think they did shorten it for some portion of that video. So, but okay. I, I, yeah, I don't know. But it is a kind of funny thing to remember. But OK, so other than Encino Man, um, I had Bill, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, which we talked about. And I, I, I remembered stuff like, you know, the Ghostbusters theme song. Of course, Dirty Dancing was around. I was going to say that that was a big one. Yeah. Uh, driving around in my mom's Mustang right. with the Dirty Dancing soundtrack on. And then you had to get the next one more Dirty Dancing. <laughs> right. Yeah. The supplementary like, like, hey, yes. remember, remember Dirty Dancing? <laughs> <laughs> you know, remember all those songs that weren't on the first album you bought? We're going to sell you this other album with all these other songs. Right. It's like we wanted to get the licenses, but we were like, eh, maybe should we get it? No. Like, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's again. And then uh, Footloose was like, oh, yes. Kind of the random like, oh, this is the guy from Top Gun, like doing <laughs> doing Footloose. <laughs> Like, much more rocking on Top Gun, but, I mean, who am I to judge? And then, of course, the Beverly Hills Cop theme song, Axel F, by Harold Faltemeyer. I mean... Don't discount The Heat Is On by Glenn Fry. Sure, sure, there's that. I mean, you're welcome to any other ones, but, like, these are the only things that, like, popped in my mind as, like, like early kid, like, you know, skateboarding and stuff to, like, all these old, you know, soundtracks and stuff, but... So basically speaking, they, they they represented like the true fandom of like whatever movies that you were into. Speaking of this, we'll, we'll sidebar here for a second. Yeah. Speaking of Glenn Fry and eighties soundtracks, I know this isn't nineties, but eighties soundtracks. If you can ever find the picture, I have the 45 seven inch record kids. If you don't know what that is of you belong to the night by Glenn Fry taken from the Miami vice soundtrack, the show, not the movie. And on the back cover, on the back cover sleeve is Glenn Fry holding a submachine gun standing in between Crockett and Tubbs. And it is one of the best pictures you will ever see. So I, I, I recommend a Google on that because you may be cool, but you'll never be Glenn Fry holding a machine gun standing next to Don Johnson. Cool. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we can only, you know, wish. <laughs> He is living his best life, although he's dead now. <laughs> Rest Ooh. in peace, Glenn Fry. Yeah, yeah. R.E.P. Yeah, Glenn Fry. Yeah. 
But if uh, if no one understands what a soundtrack is, like for those of you that are just like, I don't even know what you're talking about because they don't really release them like they do nowadays with hardly any full compilation, like for most movies, I would say, other than stuff like, say, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and Black Panther, the album. Right. I mean, Guardians they, of the Galaxy brought back that idea of the soundtrack compilation but yeah it seemed 80s and 90s were very much the zenith of the soundtrack and then early 2000s you had them sporadically like tomb raider but yeah they faded away yeah and 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 even the stranger things like is known for like their iconic sound or their song like almost as a retro thing to add on to the retro look of the show and so it's it's almost like a retro thing to really care about soundtrack songs and stuff like that anymore i, don't, I really don't know i mean i haven't bought a strict soundtrack in forever i buy scores yeah i movie i'll buy movie scores i have most all the Reznor and ross scores or tron Le- tron legacy is, is big at my house but yeah, as oh, far yeah. as soundtracks that's true they're just not quite what they used to be yeah, I mean, basically copywritten music was used for like transition scenes and during driving and parties and bar scenes. Um, usually in the 90s, you'll hear a lot of like jangle pop and like sort of grunge music to kind of play on the marketing of the hip and cool kids. And usually what I found is like maybe a movie paid for the rights to use it in the movie and transition that into a soundtrack deal. I, I don't know if that's the way that it typically would have gone. But what I, what I did find out is that once an agreement is reached as to a fee, the producer will then sign on what is known as a synchronization or broad rights license which will give the studio the right to distribute the film theatrically sell it to television and then sell the videos and that's that's all it ever contained like it had nothing to do with like putting it on streaming platforms or anything that's why they had to go and change so many songs that you'll hear in tv shows and stuff that you try to stream now it it will never sound the same you know what else is the soundtracks other than accomplishments of songs? To me, there's this symbiotic link, especially with 90s movies, even I mean, 80s movies, too. But especially with the 90s movies for me is the you get the soundtrack or you hear the song and you instantly think of the scene that the song was in. Mm-hmm. For instance, I had a real bent to do this when me and Mrs. Bob got married um, COVID kind of sought to end that. But the ending of Cruel Intentions, when he's driving away in the, I think it's an MG, first yeah. a Triumph, and they're doing that pullback shot and they're playing Bittersweet Symphony. I was like, I want to recreate that for like a wedding video. With the MG but, and everything? Uh, no, I was going to drive my old car, hmm. you know, my little, my little red Honda. Again, RIP to the ladybug. But th- there's like so many iconic moments to me that when I hear a song you want to talk about left field the offsprings cover of smash it up by the damned which Mm. is in Batman forever for about 10 seconds when Chris O'Donnell steals the Batmobile and he's hopping down the road (laughs) and then he opens the cockpit and the girls are looking at him he's like you take a ride in my love machine baby (laughs) and you know but right before that they're playing smash it up by the offspring or you're talking kiss from a rose right you can't think or talk about batman forever without hearing kiss from a rose in your head i think even more so that song than the u2 song and the u2 song which is good and it had that awesome video it's not as linked to me 
like when I heard that Smashing Pumpkins song, all I think about is Billy Corgan floating in the air for five seconds and then a cut to Arnold Schwarzenegger's Mr. Freeze making some face. <laughs> right. You know, everybody chill. Or as a portly boy seeing that movie, hearing him say, I always buy a size smaller. It makes me look slimmer. I'm like, I think that's some good life advice. And I may take him up on that. <laughs> but the, there's, there's just a lot of iconic 90s movie moments that are just interwoven with their soundtracks. Right. Like, I mean, the opening credits of Pulp Fiction. I mean, could you imagine seeing the opening credits of Pulp Fiction without Miserable by Dick Dale? Right. No, it's they're so just locked. It's like any more like they'll just start off a movie and like any random director will probably just like, all right, they're walking in the door. Like there's nothing really, you know, there's there's like no sound cue. It seems like in a lot of stuff anymore. It's just very like dry. No, you get you get needle drop moments. Zack Snyder is is particularly good at those. Okay. Like the opening of Watchmen with Times They Are Changing in those opening credit scenes. And then there's, what else? He's got a couple of them. He's real good at that. But yeah, they don't have, it's just, it's not quite like that anymore. I think Guardians of the Galaxy are really, those are the standouts from the last 20 years. We're not going to talk about uh, Something in the Way by Nirvana and the Batman. Uh, Don't even get me started on that movie. Um, (laughs) Listeners out there, anyone who knows me, Nate knows me, my wife will tell you the same. I'm a huge Batman fan. Love Batman. Love Batfleck. Batfleck's my favorite. And I watched that movie and, oh, God. But he's brooding, Bob. I I, I don't care. I enjoy the brooding. I hated his hair. I mean, like, I kept waiting for him to sing, like, you know, the hand that feeds or something. Right. (laughs) And then, yeah, the something in the way. God, that's a I heard whole that, other... and I thought maybe I was like watching a commercial for something else. <laughs> you know, what I mean, it was it was so obvious, and like it, it was as if it was used to like highlight something about the character, like that he just I don't know was so dour and depressed or something. But I, that's where I stopped watching too. <laughs> so I was like, yeah. um, I don't know if I should like get on board or not. But um, yeah. So yeah, I I totally. I agree with everything you said. It does highlight certain moments in the movie. It does really work if you can get the right song or the right band to do your um, soundtrack and and even just the, the the material in the movie. Because if you didn't have the the shot and the cable guy of Jim Jim Carrey going crazy on the karaoke machine to somebody to love. Um, okay, the, I only saw that I saw that movie one time, and that was when we went to go see it in the theater. Oh really? Well, they they made a they made a uh, music video out of it. Like they made that that whole portion. They just like spliced it and like made it. And I remember seeing it time and time again on like MTV and stuff. So they he he was just going, you know, crazy on the karaoke machine to somebody to love. And like that's just something that will always stick with me. Like as a weird, you know, thing in that movie. Also, um, I was reading how like Beck uh for whenever he released loser which was like a huge single he was approached to release it on the dumb and dumber soundtrack which makes total sense i mean you got a bunch a couple losers and they're just you know whatever but then beck was like i don't want to be known as just you know this guy that's like (laughs) the loser soundtrack guy 
I mean, like, but that's what, who he was back in the day. He had like one single, other than you know, there was like one other song that he was known for for the Beavis and Butthead TV show that they they watched him in. It was something like a uh, beer, something to do with beer and police. I don't know, right? And his record label was it Bongload Records? Yeah, Bongload Records. It's like you know, how are you supposed to be legitimized or you know whatever? But he's like he's like the alternative prince. Ugh. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not a not a Beck fan at all. <laughs> there's at there's all. there's times, but he's just an oddball, and he's like a little too too much to himself. I I don't know how to take him. So. But uh, sometimes they comprise like the soundtracks were comprised of bands who were just really trying to get known for just more than their one hit. Like for example, I've I came across uh, the Proclaimers. You know, uh, I will walk 500 miles. They they did a they did a cover of Get Ready by Smokey Robinson, <laughs> and oh. I'm like I'm like why like it it's just it's so it's almost like a credit you know like like here we can do this too like throw us on the you know on the soundtrack or whatever and it's it, it's the thing you didn't know you wanted and then you yeah, still don't want it I, I I suppose so and then sometimes sound soundtracks shared space with audio segments from like the movies like either edited into the songs themselves like on the same track or like on separate tracks of the CD which were it was kind of a jarring um aspect of a soundtrack on CD because you were you're going to like sit and listen to this thing no matter what um and so like in between these songs you'd have to like hear clips of i don't know johnny depp going on about his day and then it would go right back into like the stylish song of like you know the time so spoilers spoilers there is a soundtrack that does that on my list oh yeah and there's actually like a couple on there of mine as well it, like it's it's sort of i don't really know how to take soundtracks sometimes whenever i look back in the day of them because it's like yeah, it's nice to have all these collected songs and then all of a sudden you'd like have clips of like a movie. But if you haven't seen that movie in a while, you're kind of like, what part was this in? You know, like it kind of has you jogging your own memory going like maybe you should watch the movie again. And so round around about it, like kind of gives the marketing its its ploy, you know? Right. It's like the it's like the offspring song in Batman Forever. They play it's like five seconds. Yeah. And it's it's just done. Right. But it's one of the best songs on the album at least to me but i like the damned and i love that song so you really like that version though like i was it's, I, came, I came across that and it sounded to me like it, it sounded like a learn to play guitar version of the song <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's not bad here's here's the thing with that song so if you listen to the original damn version it's broken into two it's smash it up part one smash it up part two yeah yeah I actually prefer the smash it up part one because that's it's a like more laid back instrumental. And then it goes into the the rock song. Right. For the offspring version, I like the way they interpreted the smash it up part one. Right. And then you get to smash it when they start playing part two. Yeah, it's the offspring and it's yeah, it kind of sounds like, you know, your favorite bar band, Mm -hmm. but it's fun. And, you know, it's not. It's not taking itself too seriously. Not like R. Kelly. <laughs> Gotham City. City of justice. City of peace. <laughs> like, no, it's not. It's a Technicolor nightmare. <laughs> there's these huge statues everywhere and nothing makes sense. And there's neon everywhere. And people wear suit nipples. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> why is everything like day glow? <laughs> 
And for yeah. for the record on that, just to like round off that that one soundtrack, I my my vote goes for the uh, Massive Attack Tracy Thorne song, the the hunter gets captured by the game. Oh, okay. It's it's you know, very it's very moody, but it's like the only I think it's the only place that song exists other than like the Massive Attack singles like compilations. But yeah, that whole album is like three tracks, and then it's kind of like filler to me. Right, but it's a I mean it both the soundtracks are kind of a who's who of '90s stuff. Right. Batman Forever has the better artists. Yeah. Like I love Nick Cave. It's not a good Nick Cave song that's on there. Yeah. There's I love, a I love Flaming Lips, but it's not it doesn't belong on the soundtrack. No, that's they play that song when the when Jim Carrey is trying to figure out how to be the Riddler. Oh, okay. But it's got a Michael Hutchins song, which yeah. if you don't know who he is, kids, he was the lead singer of In Excess, and I think oh he probably died two years after this album came out. Mm. Singing the, other, uh, singing the Passenger, no less. Right. And look, there's only one good cover of that song, and that's Susie and the Banshees. And if you're not going to listen to that one, listen to the original and just let it be. Old man yells at Cloud. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so I made a list, and I know Nate made a list. Yeah. Are we doing top five here? Yeah, I figured what, what we would do is uh, we haven't shared these lists with each other yet. We kind of had an idea that we were going to have duplicates on both of our uh, lists if we just made, I don't know, a, a flat five that are or, or impactful for us because we kind of shared the same space a lot of times. And um, there are certain soundtracks that just sort of were in each other's realm. So I found some that are going to be kind of interesting, I think, <laughs> that that Bob might find like uh as as weird takes but i mean that's Ooh. that's what that's what i think we're here for is just to, like here are our top five and kind of go from there and see what other either way either way there will be opinions yeah there will be opinions given because oh yeah plenty I, <laughs> I like i like a good hot take <laughs> yeah go ahead and uh and start off with one and i'll um just basically go from like your your kind of fifth favorite to i don't know if you rated them like that or if i didn't rate them as favorites because that i mean okay the last two will probably be like favorites okay um but i just kind of threw a list of five together that i really enjoyed yeah and so number five drum roll number five i chose speaking of soundtracks with movie dialogue spliced in between songs i chose pulp fiction Ooh. So I chose Pulp Fiction. I went to see the movie. At <laughs> I saw the movie with my mom at the UA8 in Escondido, which if anyone's familiar with Escondido is now in LA Fitness. And I got the soundtrack, I want to say at Target for some reason. And I remember the cover because, again, I mentioned Uma Thurman. Bit of a crush there. It had the smallest the smallest parental advisory sticker I'd ever seen on any album. And it was just like hidden and it was real tiny. But why did I pick Pulp Fiction? Let's just start off. All right. Miserloo. There's just right off the bat. Great song. It's an instrumental surf guitar. Dick Dale. Dick Dale is a very famous surf guitarist. If you don't know who he is, Dick Dale also in the nineties provided the soundtrack for the onboard audio of Disneyland space mountain. He did a cover of Ghost Riders in the Sky, but there's a there's a bit of a thread that runs through the soundtracks that I picked, and that is the soundtracks expose me to music I didn't know already. So in peeling back the layer of Pulp Fiction, they 
Pulp Fiction actually introduced a, a young Bob at age 13 to, to Al Green, right? We got Let's Stay Together. That was, hadn't heard that before. Thought that was a great song. And then we got, oh, Son of a Preacher Man. I mean, Dusty Springfield, amazing voice. Just a great singer. And then the more famous, I think the famous, most famous song off the record was Urge Overkill's Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon, mm-hmm. which had the music video along with it too. I thought that was a great track. And then a little little jaunty ditty, Flowers yeah. ba- flowers on the Wall by the Statler <laughs> Brothers, <laughs> which is so locked in my brain. Anytime anybody says like the phrase that don't bother me at all i just i launch into the song if you've never heard it look it up flower uh, flowers on the wall by the statler brothers it's great and then the other reason i really like the soundtrack is is for not being a surfer for not being someone who likes going to the beach all that much i like surf music i love the beach boys i love jan and dean and pulp fiction had some great surf instrumentals on it like busted surfboard surf surf rider looking at the track list. So I just thought this was just a great soundtrack of just a bunch of classic songs and they, they all fit within the movie. They all kind of reminded you of what Cena was in. And I have a very distinct memory. <laughs> I don't know if Nate remembers this of, I brought it over to his house and we put it in the CD player and hit track one. And it starts with the, <laughs> the expletive laden opening monologue from the movie before Miserloo cuts in and I'm pretty sure Nate's mom was knocking on the door wondering what we were listening to (laughs) and uh, I don't I don't remember what the story was or how we got out of getting in trouble but needless to say I think anytime I put that on I just started at track two (laughs) which which uh, by the way that that tracks um, the audio from that track is also used in the fun loving criminal song Scooby Snacks (laughs) that's right I just that came up on my my iTunes radio station right yeah yeah that was pretty random but uh yeah that's that's a that's for our one hit wonder uh cloud you know discussion (laughs) later on in the in the future But yeah, I, I definitely agree. Um, it definitely introduced music that you just would never hear anywhere else. Um, Quentin Tarantino had a very distinct um, style to his his structuring of soundtracks, and um, it was definitely something that that stood out when it came to music selection. And I just imagine him with a bin of forty fives, and just picking out the most random ones you could find. Other than say "Son of a Preacher Man," which was already a pretty famous song, right? Same with "Same with Let's Stay Together" by Al Green. Yeah, that that was like part of his manic energy that I loved so much back in the day. Was just that you could imagine this guy just like getting sweaty, like kind of thumbing through <laughs> vinyls, going like, "What have I heard? Oh yes, nobody's ever heard this before." Or you know, what I mean, like I I don't know if that was his his process, but. Um, and if anything, he probably had some kind of music director or somebody that kind of helped out, but, but yeah, he definitely, he made a huge mark in Pulp Fiction with that. And it was such an iconic movie known for its insane, uh, what violence and weird, you know, subjects and what am I watching? Swearing. Yeah. The structure of the story. It doesn't, it's not linear. Right. It's it's such an oddball movie to go along with like this really like eccentric, uh soundtrack i mean the whole thing is really laid out really interesting 
All right, Nate, hit me with your five. I'm curious. All right, first one up um, to, to counter your uh, your Pulp Fiction there. I've got um, one of the one of the craziest curveballs that I threw myself was remembering the soundtrack. I don't know if it hit me as hard as your Pulp Fiction did, but it definitely stood out in the same way, and that's for Boogie Nights. Oh, I own that. I bought that. That's right. And I think that's you might have introduced me to it because at the time, I mean, I wasn't allowed to watch Boogie Nights. And like when we got the, uh, I think you got the soundtrack around that time. I did. Yeah. I did. Christmas of like 97. Right. And I mean, unfortunately, the the one of the best songs in there is "You've Got the Touch," which is not on on neither of the two release soundtracks that they released. They they released a supplementary one as well. Yes, um, yes, they did. But unfortunately, yeah, "You Got the Touch" is not on either one. <laughs> <laughs> which 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 uh, Mark Wahlberg is known for singing in that movie, like totally out of key, and he's trying to make his his uh, transition from a porn star to a like everything star, like a, a pop star and all this other stuff. And that's one of the songs he sings. Um, but it does have the first on the first track of the original soundtrack. It does have him and John C. Riley like going at a demo of like a song um, that was to be their <laughs> one of their hits. <laughs> but yes, um, but that's actually the, one of the only spoken word interludes in the entire album, which was kind of nice because the, the rest of the album, I mean, Amongst the two CDs, there's like 24 tracks of good time, disco, pop, and soul. So it's like a really great, you know, just kind of kick back and listen to a bunch of artists that otherwise I would probably have never picked up. Um, disco's not really in my wheelhouse that that often. And oh, it was it was in mine for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You had a lot of like Saturday Night Fever, and oh yeah, um, that was a big thing. Um, but it it just was not it was not like my kickback music, like you know necessarily. So it was, but whenever I, I looked back on it now, uh, it's funny because my list is a lot like looking back on things at the time. And I, I didn't really necessarily listen to these all that often on my own, but I am appreciative of them now as being like, that's one of the bigger ones I can remember. So yeah, that's one of my first curveballs. <laughs> oh, no, I boogie nights. I remember buying it, bought it at the warehouse at North County fair. Cool. And I'm just looking over the because I had volume one. Yeah. Volume two came into my life at some other point, but just looking at the track list of volume one, that was my exposure to ELO, Electric Light Orchestra. Oh, yeah. And oh, that damn Melanie song. Got a brand new pair of roller skates. You got a brand new key. Yeah, yeah. Right. And I think the most important song on this for me. Now that I'm looking at it, I think my favorite track that's on it is God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Mm. Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah, I used that song when I got married to Mrs. Bob. She walked down the aisle to it. But I used the preferred version, which if you have a few minutes to kill, look up God Only Knows, the stack of vocals version, which has the music taken out. And it's just the Beach Boys doing the harmonies and the vocals. And you listen to that now and you get to see the genius that is Brian Wilson Mm -hmm. and just how insanely talented he is with directing and writing and producing because it, they do the whole pet sounds album, just the vocals. And it's, it's amazing. So Mm -hmm. if you have a chance check that out, but God only knows is always my favorite song off that soundtrack. Right. I think the one that stood out to me because that was the first time I ever heard it was spill the wine. And it's, it's got an iconic like part in the movie, but 
it's and it's so odd like sounding for the first time when you hear it that i think it stood out the most for me i don't right. know it's, yeah, eric, it's, eric it's funky yeah i mean eric burden is uh, like with the animals and everything else he's been in like is is far too talented yeah that spill the wine is always a memorable track so what do you got for your second one there bob all right so my number two pick was not just for the soundtrack but for the entire just menagerie of songs from this movie and if you haven't seen this movie it's probably if not the ultimate the penultimate 90s teen flick which is can't hardly wait oh nice this has just a stupid list of songs that they used in the movie that aren't all on the soundtrack but Mm -hmm. it's just ridiculous and i love jennifer love hewitt she's when we get to 90s heartthrobs i'm sure she'll be on my list but just okay i hate smash mouth so i know smash mouth is on this it's an awful song they're an awful band so let's just (laughs) we're gonna cross them off uh opens third eye blind graduate third eye blind's first album is actually really really good it's it's produced well the songs sound great we've got i mean damn it by blink 182 which is just quintessential 90s rock song got some butt got some buster rhymes flip mode fire it up say fire it up fire it up yeah, yeah that's it <laughs> flip mode <laughs> <laughs> it, it, but like the sound the actual release soundtrack's got a couple just weird off you know it's got it's tricky run dmc that's a fun song it's got a matthew sweet song i'm not terribly familiar with i never really got into matthew sweet you got the replacements can't hardly wait which is obviously where the title comes from it's a good song the album wraps with paradise city by yeah. g and f and r which is nothing but a good time track and in the movie it was like showcased right it was uh one of the <laughs> I guys can't feel my legs right right yeah yeah that's it he um he got way too blasted too, and like too drunk yeah, started getting on, jumping on the on the uh, karaoke machine. I know. Hey, I, I know this song. I know this song. I know this song. A guy tutored math used to make me listen to it. And since we're kind of trying to keep this family friendly, you can't talk about heart, can't hardly wait without Mike Dexter. And yeah. if you know the movie, you know what Mike Dexter is. But you want to talk about music that's not on the soundtrack, but's in the movie. I, I mean, you've got another Third Eye Blind song, which is which is not bad. Uh, there's a sublime song. I hate sublime with a passion. So no, no, thank you. Um, there's a song. I didn't know who it was by. I never watched the credits long enough to see Romeo and Juliet by dire straits. I found it much later in life. It's actually a really good song. You got another smash mouth song in the movie. Gross. Apparently they, they used a Creed song on it. Didn't know that. Uh, got some inside out by Eve six. Yay. Bust a move, young MC. Speaking of delight, you got Groovers in the Heart. Funky Cold Medina, which I know, 80s song, but whatever. Lucas with the lid off. Waiting for a girl like you by Foreigner. Oh, it's great. And then a song I actually really like. It's very 70s, but it closes the movie out well. It's When Will I See You Again by the Three Degrees. Little, little soulful ballad there. Oh, and I did skip. If you don't know the name of the group that does this if you're listening to this show you've probably heard this song which is six underground by the sneaker pimps 
right. because that is another late 90s track that got played in a lot of movies and a lot of commercials. So, yes, Can't Hardly Wait was my second pick. Might be a little off the wall. I don't know. I love the flick. I was so so happy when Netflix put it on. <laughs> it's just start to finish. That movie's great. In an unrelated note, I, I watched with a friend, um, a much younger friend. Um, we watched Not Another Teen Movie, and it's referenced many times in that in that Not Another Teen Movie parody movie. And it's funny because there's like, it's almost like that show or that movie almost completely dated itself out. Like if you did not watch like any of the 90s, uh, you know, teen movies at all. Like it's that movie makes no sense to her. <laughs> like, right. Rest- well, it com- that movie combined a lot of elements from the 90s teen movies along with a lot of things 80s. from the 80s teen movies. Right. I'm very much looking forward to watching Can't Hardly Wait with my oldest daughter. I think mm-hmm. that's going to be a lot of fun. So wait for a segment coming up. Going to start sliding into the show with Does It Hold Up? Right, I believe is the working title of it. We're going to interview a well, almost 11-year-old and see if any of this stuff that we still like and we watched in the, in the <laughs> 90s holds up to a kid today or if we're just old men. Let's let's watch the and the hilarious series. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, yeah, let's let's see what Arya thinks of this. Before I go on to my second pick, I mean, do you remember I, I actually came across the uh the I was going to talk about Can't Hardly Wait, but I I was like, I don't know how many of these songs actually were actually in the movie that this wiki kind of reports. Like do you most of them. You do remember like all oh, yeah. almost twenty nine songs that it talks about? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Some of them like Mandy, Mandy gets played for Right for Mandy. A, a few bars. More human than human gets played a few bars. Right. Because it's essentially that like takes place mostly at a party, so it's like a party atmosphere right. playing a bunch of different tracks. Yeah, but when Ethan Embry splits off, there's a lot of songs that go. That's when they play Mandy. They play over like the car Romeo radio. Juliet by Dire Straits. Oh, speaking of of Mandy in that scene, Jenna Elfman. I mean, Pete. Oh yeah, Jenna Elfman. There's another. It's a more under the radar '90s crush, but I always thought Jenna Elfman was was a looker. Yeah, she's super cute in that movie. But it it was so like she has such a weird role as like an, an angel <laughs> that you're like because she's a stripper, dude. I, I know, but it's like that's the only thing you remember though is that like, <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, okay, that's kind of weird. But yeah, Jenna Elfman definitely is like one of those forgotten, um, kind of like Mira Sorvino for me. Like I don't know what it oh. is. Yeah. It's just like certain, you know, bygone people that we don't really know where they're at anymore. <laughs> now, she was on that show Dharma and Greg for a little while. Yeah. But yeah, she's kind of faded out. Yeah. All right. Hit me with your next one. All right. Let's see here. I will back up your Pulp Fiction uh, just one movie before and I'll go Reservoir Dogs. You're going Reservoir? Oh, Lime in the Coconut. Now the reason why is because um, there's there's a number of different things that kind of like we talked about before Quentin Tarantino started doing with Reservoir Dogs, um, starting with this soundtrack is this is kind of like where he got his structure for making soundtracks and the way he does, and so it, the the soundtrack starts off with Stephen Wright as the the DJ for K Billy. <laughs> And he basically introduces a lot of these songs in between, like every two or three songs, it's almost done like you're listening to the radio. 
Billy super sounds of the 70s weekend. <laughs> and so, yeah, like this is one of those um, that I was also introduced at Bob's house that I never really had seen on my own. It was kind of like one of those weird movies that you're wondering, you know, what are we watching here? And so, but yeah, all these, like all these tracks are just like, they're, they're great to listen to. I've never heard them since like some of these bands, but I was introduced to like, say like the little green bag, which is the second track. Um, hooked on a feeling, of course. I've heard that a million times. And I gotcha. Uh-huh. <laughs> I love that track. I mean, it's just so fun. Uh, like some of these are just, you know, perfect for the 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 movie and everything, especially stuck in the middle with you, which is oh, that you can't hear that if you've seen the movie. When you hear that song, you can't not think of the scene that it's right. in, right? Or just that great cutting back to little green bag just that opening shot of all the dudes in the suits walking down the street with that right. doom, 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 got that baseline yeah, going I- iconic like baseline and like just like the 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 tenor of his voice and just everything is really like it sticks out in such a weird way in my brain so when i was re-listening to a bunch of these tracks on my or the, the the soundtracks i was like oh yeah totally like this deserves to be like one of those big things because I've loved every Tarantino like soundtrack ever since, especially the Kill Bill volumes and and um, not so much anything past that. Like I haven't kept up with like Django Unchained or anything, but um, I mean they have their own feel. But definitely like in the '90s and 2000s era of Tarantino, I'd say his his soundtracks were like bulletproof. Oh no, they're they're very good. Yeah, and then being that my kids listen to this show so we keep it somewhat family friendly i'm not going to go into all the quotes from the madonna speech that's on the soundtrack but i have to say that is one of the best things i've ever heard to this day and i'm not going to repeat steve buscemi's line but i love the madonna clip that's that's in there and then that's again one of the first clips of the movies right like that's yeah that's it's when they're all sitting at the diner it's it's within yeah, it's like the first the first five, minutes yeah the first scene quentin tarantino mm-hmm. just going off on on everything about madonna <laughs> not like not, henry rollins like no, <laughs> no see madonna makes henry want to drive fast and go bowling madonna she makes you want to drink beer she makes you want to drive fast and go bowling she makes you want to shop at sears she makes you want to kick vegetarians so anyways, just if you're listening to this, you've never seen Reservoir Dogs, go out and check it. So some of these clips, I think MovieClips uh, has got a channel on YouTube that's pretty pre- oh, prevalent sure. with most of these. So Let's go to YouTube and type in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, totally. It's it's worth watching at least once. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a great flick. Yeah. So what you got for number three there? Number three. Now, I'm going to cheat a little bit because this movie actually has two soundtracks, but I don't care. And this one I pulled out of the back of my brain. And it is the both soundtrack compilations for Gross Point Blank. Mm, yeah. Which is a movie starring John Cusack and Minnie Driver and Dan Aykroyd. He's a he's a hitman who goes back. He has to take out somebody in his hometown. And he's going to his high school reunion. The movie came out in 97. But this soundtrack opened my eyes to a ton of stuff. Right. This is one of the first times I started getting into the Violent Femmes because you've got Blister in the Sun. First track right off the bat, right? You got Blister in the Sun. 
this album got me into the clash this is what really go it started getting me into the clash i'm a big clash fan um so you got rudy can't fail mirror in the bathroom by the english beat and nate could probably tell you and i'll tell you i'm not a big ska person mm. great track yeah it's got under pressure by bowie and queen i don't really like that song a whole yeah. lot then you got some oldies on it you got i can see clearly now things like that but when you get into the meat of this soundtrack we're talking live and let die by gnr right Cities in Dust by Susie and the Banshees. This was one of my first exposures to Susie, who I love. Pressure Drop by The Specials. Again, I don't really care for Ska, but I like this track by The Specials and Ghost Town. Um, it's got a jam song on it. Again, I'm not huge on the jam. It's got We Care A Lot by Faith No More, which this is Faith No More, Faith no More before Mike Patton. Mm-hmm. And that song actually ended up getting used for the Dirty Jobs TV show with Mike Rowe. Uh, it's got a weird mix of Let My Love Open the Door by Pete Townsend. I don't like this mix. I prefer the original version. Then you get into like the second part of the soundtrack. Let's just get this banger out of the way. The self-described by the guy who wrote it, because I heard him say it in person, greatest song ever written. The Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen, mm. which, uh, other than being a kid and probably hearing it on the radio or something, this is when I really got into that song, and it is an amazing song. Uh, you've got Monkey Gone to Heaven by the Pixies. Not a huge Pixies fan, but it's a good song. And then here's some ones that Nate will appreciate. you got White Lines. <laughs> yeah, Millie Mill. <laughs> and Let It Whip. Oh yeah, Dad's band. <laughs> That's my roller skating song. <laughs> and then I'll wrap up my gross point blank soliloquy with it has the ultimate, I don't know about ultimate, but it's up there. Top five. If you're in a goth club, you're a goth kid in the nineties and two thousands, you're getting your Ropper Stomper boots, your Doc Martens, your eighteen inch black platforms, and your crushed velvet. And if this song comes on, you're gonna go shake your little goth tail feather which is Go by Tones on Tail, which is one of the most simplistic songs you'll ever hear, right? right? But it's it's perfect in its simplicity, and it just, me and Nate used to run, Nate used to run in the same circles, it's in the same goth clubs, and if that song came on, it's like a flood of people, excluding myself usually, and it's just, as 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 a goth kid in the 90s, it's just one of those go-to songs, and it's, it's so catchy, so catchy. Just the yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that was the only the only other go song that would rival that in its simplicity is "Go" by Moby, which is nothing but like like you know some soul singer going yeah, and then go <laughs> like over and over again. <laughs> so that was my third pick. I love the movie. Uh, I love the soundtrack. I think Joe Strummer did the score yep. um, again, rest in peace. Um, but yeah, this, it, this got me into a lot of stuff, which I still listen to, to this day. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I was researching that as well. I knew it was a huge um, soundtrack movie because like that just was, I don't know. It was like one of those things that was on the, not the marquee, but like the advertisement of the movie. It was like featuring a soundtrack featuring da, 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 da. And I never really watched much of the trailer, but I knew who was on the soundtrack. (laughs) 
So yeah. I was, so I was like, I see this picture of, um, help me out here is John Cusack and mini driver, mini driver. That's right. And I never was a mini driver like fan. And so I was like, I don't know, like she was fine, but, um, and then Not when, fine. She was just fine. She's like, cause she's like, what British? And she's got she's like Irish, Irish. So, I mean, there's a bit about her. I think the only other thing I remember her in was like what Rudy or something. <laughs> Who? Mini Driver? Yeah, wasn't she in Rudy or something like that? Yeah, but she's all dude. She's in Goodwill Hunting. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, it, yeah, he's the he's the girl, you know. How about them apples? Okay, okay. Got the telephone number, gotcha. Yep. Well, I I don't know. It, you know, teach his own. <laughs> but but <laughs> but the, the the thing about the movie was that I just I watched the movie and didn't really take it as much as like I wanted it to be Heather's, but it wasn't Heather's. No, it was. It's it's Heather's. If the people from Heather's went back to their ten year high school reunion, yeah. It's just slightly. It just I, it didn't really to me. It just didn't work. Like maybe it was just because I didn't really understand John Cusack in that way either. Like I I remember him as like a bumbling dude that just was like out to score, and that's about all he did for like. <laughs> a whole decade so i don't know like maybe that's what like threw me off from the gross point blank but but definitely coming across that soundtrack does take me back to you playing it in the car and and on trips and stuff like that that we would take I'm so sure. did you did you have both of them or just the one i did i i got the first one and then i got the second one later on it floated into music trader when i was working there like you know, somewhere in like 2001. And, you know, I already had most of the songs, but I'm like, this is still a good list. And this yeah. is in the age of, of not everyone had a CD burner and just, you throw it on and you've got, you've got some goth dance alongs. You've got, right. I mean, you got, let it, you got to let it whip. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but man, this is what I love about you. Like thinking back in the day, like you would have your specific tracks laid out in your brain. And then every time you would like, you'd play as a CD, like you'd have maybe like four songs on the CD that you just want to listen to. And so you go right. like, okay, you're like track four. I mean, then you listen to track four and then track five would start up and be like, not going to listen to that. <laughs> <laughs> And then, that still happens. And I'm like, I'm like, what, what's wrong with track five? Like, it could be totally fine. That's <laughs> oh, crap. It's just hilarious. Like it, your your eccentricity is like at the time. It's still like it comes back in my brain like a flood. Oh, pretty... they're still there. Yeah, it's that's hilarious. They're still there. <laughs> uh, hit me, hit me with your number three. All right. So, um, some of the bigger ones that I can remember um, back in the day. I guess nineties to me like represents a time when I really changed my style a lot and wanted to kind of keep up from punk to goth to whatever. And, um, and I don't think I would be anywhere in my twenties if I hadn't watched the matrix. Ooh, I was wondering if you were going to pick the matrix. Yeah. Cause it did, it did end up being, you know, later in the nineties, but um, it was still pre, you know, pre nine eleven, still kind of edgy, and you know, we're we're talking about a movie that plays with a lot of gunplay in the in the movie, and what is it? They Don't forget it the gun, trench coats. They call it Gunkata now, <laughs> <laughs> like like Equilibrium and stuff, like the just movies that are known for you know uh, acrobatically playing around with guns and whatnot. 
Um, but yes, the trench coat mafia, of course, the, the whole, um, I don't know, just the whole red pill thing became a thing like about, you know, just in the last like three years are going to take the red pill and, and see the world as it really is, you know, like as if the world is like a big conspiracy and there's something deeper. And what's funny in the movie is that like, you learn that something deeper is like some mechanical, like octopus, like <laughs> like running around trying to kill some weird pod of people. It makes absolutely no Those sense. Those are the Sentinels, dude. Huh? Did you, did you see, did you see the new matrix flick? No. So I, I planned on watching like every, like, this is, this is the detriment to my dad. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, who promised to watch every Matrix movie with me because he, he thought it was like going to be some tradition, but it it ended up not being a tradition at all. Like he, he watched the second Matrix, <laughs> and I I have never seen the second through the newest Matrix. Um, oh, so I that's a weird like hot take for me. <laughs> oh um, damn! So I saw it. I went the Friday it came out. Uh, yeah, I was 17. That was the first rated R movie I went to by myself that I knew that if they asked for my ID, I could legitimately get into. Yeah, nice. Right. No one was going to like, wow, yeah, you're 16, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that was the that was the first that was the first rated R movie I went to. It was at the Twin Peaks Mall in Longmont, Colorado. Nice. I want to say, OK, so. One of the first, this is kind of off topic, but um, one of the first that I remember taking myself on a date to because I, I had the night free. I had the night Treat free. Treat yourself. The caravan was all mine <laughs> that I could drive. <laughs> I could drive the caravan all I wanted. And so I ended uh, up going to the San Marcos. Um, help me out with the name of the theater. Edwards. The Edwards in San Marcos. And, yeah, it's just, it's the Edwards. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I went and saw the virus or just virus. It was like that weird movie about like a a computer virus hacking a a boat, like a like a Russian boat or something. Oh yeah, and like all vaguely. the mechan all the mechanical technological stuff was like turning alive and like trying to destroy the crew, and um, it was real kind of trippy. But it that was like <laughs> that was my first like trip out uh, to go see a movie, and I ate so much popcorn that like <laughs> by the time I was driving back home, I like had to pull over and puke because. <laughs> I just like gone way too hard. Like with my first time out, I was like, I'm going to make this a big occasion. And I really did. So anyway, but matrix. Um, yeah, the whole thing is like iconic to me. I went the for- from the front to the back of it starts off with Marilyn Manson. Rock is dead. Uh, we were huge into Marilyn Manson for a long, long time. So he kind of fell off and did his own thing in his own weird way. Yeah, um, we're not going to touch that with a 10 foot pole right now. <laughs> right another acquisition uh, <laughs> talk yeah i mean that's that's all its own thing for now but but back in the day he, that guy could do no wrong and like they were just the weirdest and heaviest thing that i had on in rotation but um propeller heads had some weird kind of like spy based groove electronica track um there was a huge... i mean looking at this track list it mm-hmm. it's got you all over it and me <laughs> yeah because i haven't looked at the the track list of this for i remembered rock is dead and i yeah. remembered the rage against the machine song but looking at this it just it says nate on it <laughs> just all the all the random things i was into I, yeah i mean it's what ministry meat beat manifesto prodigy rob zombie i mean yeah uh, okay zombie, maybe everything yeah. but monster magnet yeah, Monster Magnet, like, I never really took for real because he had, like, a paint-on beard. <laughs> like, it just... 
that guy's actually really cool though Dave. i'm sure he is but it just it, to me i just couldn't i don't know it didn't didn't legitimize anything and need to like really listen to any more of his stuff hey space lord mother mother that's yeah yeah at the time that was like the only thing that i remember but um talk about your iconic goth club tracks club to death by rob d uh, rob dugan he he um released that track and you know just all these goth, goth clubs have this like kind of like mid-tempo turn to piano turn back into like heavy groove kind of you know beat type song that that song was enough for him to get signed on for the second matrix movie along with juno reactor who i i, I love their music as well but they they pretty much have the second matrix soundtrack also themselves um but i could not tell you a single song in the second or third matrix movie yeah i mean i i could only because i follow juno reactor pretty close but i mean it is a pretty um, i see that they they squeezed late 90s i don't want to say one hit wonder but duhas by Rammstein. Yeah, it's kind of odd that they chose like such an iconic song from them, but maybe that's just because that's what they're really known for. Well, yeah, they were hot at the time. Yeah, it was like the Duhas song, but um, yeah, it's kind of odd because I I don't remember that song even in the the it's movie. Looking looking at the listings, it's list it's not listed as we played this in the movie. Oh, really? Right, because I think. Even if I would have seen, if I would have heard it in the movie, I think it might have taken me out of the movie a little bit because, I mean, it's Rammstein. Right. Right. They're a little, they're a little over the top. Oh yeah. Now, now I see where you're looking at the track order by movie appearance. Yeah. What's interesting is I'm looking down as well as like the other mo- the the music that was not on the actual soundtrack, but like in the movie, and it's interesting to see. Um, there's other stuff that I, that I've I would totally listen to as well, like Filter and Crystal Method and Christ, Crystal Method. Yeah, um, Massive Attack. I guess he was listening to Little Richie Hodden. So like whoever came up with the the idea for the soundtrack was really on the pulse of like the electronic slash you know goth industrial kind of vein. So that's definitely one that really spoke out to me at the time and. And whenever it came out, I was like, I got to buy this now. So <laughs> I did not purchase this one. Yeah, no, <laughs> I did not. Uh, I was like, I already had mechanical animals and I was good. Yeah, true. <clears throat> All right. So uh, what do you have for your your fourth? Oh, OK. So I'm between two right now. And my two my two final picks both featured their own soundtrack special on MTV. But we might as well let's get let's get this big dog out of the way. <laughs> I picked singles, Ooh. Yeah. which I mean, if can't hardly wait is late '90s teen. Singles is early '90s Gen X Seattle early twenty somethings. Just all <laughs> those things that you would think about in the '90s flannel coffee rain right right you know singles is is was my obsession like i want to live in seattle because it just looked cool Mm -hmm. and i mean the movie just i mean the movie it's it's a Cameron crow movie Cameron crow does good flicks right he wrote fast times ridgemont high almost famous i don't think i saw vanilla sky but whatever but vanilla sky was good 
the soundtrack i mean in the movie like the movie like you watch the movie and if you're an mtv kid right in the movie is allison chains yeah in the movie is soundgarden right and then you've got matt dylan's band citizen dick and you know his his band is eddie vetter and jeff ament and i think stone gossard yeah right like that's his band like so it's just chock full of if you knew mtv and you knew early seattle's grunge music like it's total just fanboy service for you but going through the track list i mean really track one just sets it off you got wood by alice in chains probably one of the best alice in chains songs they have ever written you've got and it has everything good about alice in chains it's got that bass line. It's got the harmonies between Jerry Cantrell and Lane Staley. You know, you got your rock because they always had the super crunchy guitars. And just start to finish, great song. The video, I mean, still think of the video. <clears throat> the two Pearl Jam tracks that are on it, I'm actually not a huge fan of either one. State of Love and Trust is good. Breathe mm. is good. But I would take other tracks by them. Breathe or not breathe. Uh, Seasons by Chris Cornell. That's actually a favorite song of mine. I mean, excluding his work with Soundgarden, I think it's it's just a great song. It, it gets used in this movie. Uh, Zack Snyder uses it in Man of Steel, and it's just a great acoustic song. I didn't really pay attention to this as a kid when listening to this, but when they reissued it, <clears throat> and I started listening to it a little more, I got into the Paul Westerberg songs. I'm not super into the replacements i know people that are just i mean vehemently into the replacements but dyslexic heart waiting for somebody just fun early 90s kind of rock songs and then another song i didn't pay much attention to younger me but got into later me and this actually got me into listening to more of this band stuff is uh, chloe dancer crown of thorns by mother love bone I had never heard much Mother Love Bone. I knew of Mother Love Bone from, of course, the Temple of the Dog album, which is, you know, they're the Soundgarden Pearl Jam mashup tribute to Andrew Wood, who died uh, right as Mother Love Bone was going to break out. It's a really good song. It's long. It's, it moves. It's got different segments, but it's a good track. And then there's a couple of mishmash like Mud Honey. Don't really care. Uh, there's a Zeppelin cover, which it's a Zeppelin song I don't even like. And then it's got a Jimi Hendrix song. Probably actually, uh, it's got May This Be Loved by Jimi Hendrix, which this song and I'd say Little Wing, probably top Jimi Hendrix for me. I could go the rest of my life without hearing Purple Haze again. But this <laughs> song's really good. Uh, Screaming Trees, a band that I got into much later in life. Uh, nearly lost you great 90s just straight up rock song and mm -hmm. uh, mark lane again great voice recently passed away this year so r.i.p and then a song by the smashing pumpkins called drown never listened to it again until i got the reissue of this album and uh, it's a good song right the first three and a half to four minutes are good and then it just trails off into this long instrumental thing it doesn't go anywhere right you got all that james eha high wine guitar and feedback but first four minutes brilliant really good and if you pick up the reissue of the album it has stuff that's not 
that's in the movie, but it's not on the original soundtrack. So you get to hear Touch Me, I'm Dick, right? By Citizen Dick. It's great. It's got an early version. It's acoustic of Spoon Man by Soundgarden, which is cool. And it's got some acoustic versions of the Paul Westerberg songs. Paul Westerberg did some scoring for it. So did Chris Cornell. So uh, all in all, you're talking quintessential 90 soundtracks you can not not mention singles i mean they had an album release show about it on mtv it's super 90s and it's super of that time but i will say most if not all of the songs hold up like wood by allison chains hits just as hard now as it did 30 years ago yep i have i mean this was on my one of my original lists um now what's funny is that my brain kind of mismatched like this and like reality bites <laughs> um because like they're of the same world like it whenever you know i was like what 12 11 whenever singles was released and it wasn't yeah. quite on my radar exactly what was going on in that that whole world of grunge and stuff so i guess i didn't really have the I didn't have the the want to live in Seattle until the real world Seattle was <laughs> was released, um, <laughs> and you got to like kind of see down there like what exactly you know kind of like gloom and doom and like of course all my favorite you know bands came from there and um, I thought it was like a, a mecca of you know something going huge and it was like at the, at the time of my you know early teens but. Yeah, going through this, and it's funny because it was also Reality Bites also had its own like um, doppelganger movie called Threesome, <laughs> which which had sort of the same idea as a, a, for a soundtrack. Like Reality Bites had uh, what Big Mountains, Baby I Love Your Way was like in <laughs> it was in like a big scene. Uh, World Party had when you get when you get back to me uh lisa loeb stay i was gonna say just get to the lisa lobes yeah lisa oh, loeb stay like they had an unknown lenny kravitz song they had the knack by uh with playing my sharona like it was kind of thrown together but it, it's not at, at all like singles and then same with like threesome i just wanted to point out because it's like the threesome had the same style of artwork as reality bites <laughs> it had the same idea for a soundtrack as them it's just it's just that they use tears for fears they use u2 that teenage fan club, Brian Ferry, New Order, Duran Duran, like, you know, it's it's kind of like a hodgepodge of like this, that, and the other, and it, they're they're never ever songs that you remember. <laughs> like, okay, like they're, they're not like huge hits or nothing. It's similar to what singles is like, where it, unless you watch the movie, I mean, the movie is great at featuring you know transition shots with some of these songs played over them. And that was so iconic for the time that I think that's a, that's another reason why singles is upheld in independent um, uh, movies is just the fact that, you know, it kind of gave it its like own st uh, style of the time. Um, here's here's where you and I are going to diverge a little bit. Yeah. OK, so Reality Bites, I don't care for the movie. Uh, I Lisa Loeb songs, whatever. <laughs> Threesome. I, again, I don't care about the movie. It's got one of the weird Baldwin brothers in it. Right. Here's what makes Threesome good, though. The soundtrack. And I will tell you why. It's got a good U2 cover on it, Dancing Barefoot, which is a Patti Smith song. I don't like Patti Smith, but I like this song, and I like U2's version of it. It's got, <clears throat> excuse me, it's got Is Your Love Strong Enough by Brian Ferry. That's a good track. If you actually want to hear a really good cover of it, 
which I actually prefer the cover to the original is the how to destroy angels cover. And it, that's on the girl with the dragon tattoo soundtrack. And the most important thing on the threesome soundtrack, it's a live cover of make me smile by Duran Duran. This is an old seventies glam rock song by a group called Cockney rebel. And both versions are good. I love, love the Duran Duran cover of that song though. I mean, I like Duran Duran, but such a good cover. Um, mm. So to me, if I had mm. to pick between threesome and singles, I'm going threesome because of the U2 cover, because of the Duran Duran cover. And it, mean between, well, between threesome and Reality Bites? Reality Bites, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'll right. always pick singles out of all three of them. <laughs> yeah. Between threesome and Reality Bites, I would take threesome really based off the Duran Duran song alone. But then you add the U2 song. I don't care for Bizarre Love Triangle. It's annoying. Um, it's got a The The song on it. The The is actually really good. Once you get into them a little bit. It's got a fun cover of Like a Virgin. So that's my take on the on the war between Threesome and Reality Bites. Mm, okay. Yeah, I, but I, for, for whatever reason, my brain just sort of like threw it in a giant toss salad of, of you know movies back in the day and for some reason i because i never really watched singles that closely um i think it, again it's it has to do with like the casting um i don't really care for the talking eyebrow that is matt, matt dylan <laughs> um I, that's just my that's just that's just my own take like um hey man he was in the outsiders the fine pony boy but it's not it's not really <laughs> no that that was i think that was c thomas Howell. right i mean he was he was okay in drugstore cowboy um he, he was fine i guess serviceable in uh there's something about mary um but i mean uh, for the time matt dylan as like a you know a bad boy or whatever i just can't get I, I, it wasn't selling it to me i don't know why um now, super hot take for me, and I'll put myself Ooh. in the hot seat for this, is that Ooh. I do not care for anything coming out of Chris Cornell's mouth. Oh, show is over. Show is over. We're done. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's, done. There is, you know, that that there is like a screeching frequency to his to his timber that i'd never quite um appreciated that you know was i mean i guess his selling point for so many people but like to me i just i'm like yeah i, I get it, i guess like to you know i just sort of took it because of soundgarden like i love soundgarden i like the the combination of those four guys working together but it was just something about, you know, like even in the temple of the dog, I, I appreciated the music and I appreciated like some of the composition together, but just because of his, his voice was a bit like nails on a chalkboard to me, like after a while, like where I was just like, I, I don't know about this guy. So, so back in the day, I wasn't looking for Chris Cornell to be on my soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did like, however, the mumbling, you know, prodigy of, uh, of Eddie Vedder, but <laughs> so, I mean, I, and I love uh, state of love and trust. I, I, I loved that song because it was on a live Pearl jam, um, CD I acquired. It was an import. So I, I thought it was going to be something huge. The only song I didn't really know on that import was state of love and trust. So to find that it was on this, this soundtrack was interesting. 
I did like the fact that that all my favorites, you know, oh yeah, all my favorite cartoon characters are there. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like here's here's a little uh, weird hat Jeff Ahmed who likes to play basketball for some reason. Like, you know, um, that's just you know, you 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 like those people in those grunge bands, and like that's and you're you're proud to see them in in a movie. So that's pretty cool. You know, your your complaint your your complaint about Chris Cornell is. It runs oddly parallel to what I've heard some people say why they don't like Led Zeppelin. Sure. Because of Robert Plant, Chris Cornell kind of mimic the same vocal style sometimes, which I agree. There's Soundgarden stuff I don't like that he sings when he starts getting into that upper register. In fact, the Soundgarden song that's on singles, Birth Ritual, not a not a favorite. But now I'm wondering, since you mentioned mumbling Eddie Vedder. <laughs> First, first so, you're, you're locked in a room you can only play one of two songs one is mumbling eddie vetter singing yellow lead better or i'm going to say the screechiest chris cornell song that i can't think of at the moment so let's i mean can you think of one i would say something off of bad motor finger probably um, all right so so you're between screechy chris cornell or mumbling incoherent eddie vetter yellow lead better go which one do you choose but i'm you know i'm a soulful dude so i would choose the <laughs> per, the pearl jam over the <laughs> the kind of chaotic like cacophony of sound that's coming out of his mouth and in bed that was, that was my pick too was yellow lead better but yeah i was curious i think if you take like stuff from like rusty cage it's hard to really like pinpoint the the exact song that kind of like is the worst nails on chalkboard song for me for for chris cornell but it's it's even more emphasized when it's nothing but an acoustic guitar i think by the time they came out with with down on the upside like they they had found a way in soundgarden to kind of mix him into the the loop a little bit more like smoothly Right, and so there was just this, like a, like I said, like a timber to him that kind of like it's just like a certain sound that like you're looking for, I guess, you know, and and like just like Mini Driver and Matt Dillon, like Chris Cornell just ain't it for me, dog. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's a deal for me, dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, and neither, unfortunately, like well, just because of its placement, in the same way that that Flaming Lips didn't really place well in that in the Batman Forever soundtrack, or or was it the other one, um, Batman? No, it's Batman Forever. Yeah, Batman Forever. Um, I felt like Jimi Hendrix one was like kind of out of place, like in the original non you know special release edition. Right. I, I, there was a lot of Jimi Hendrix love out at the time because there was so much like a feeling of we should be free. We should be free to do what we want to do. <laughs> and we want to get loaded. Yeah. We want to get loaded. And, have a party. Uh, yeah, exactly. There was a feeling of that, that I think was, was redirected back into Jimi Hendrix's like, like a, almost a nostalgic look at what he released. And I think that that's what pushed so much of his material out at the time. For some reason, there was also like a, a giant nostalgia, of course, for Woodstock because we got Woodstock in 94. I mean, I know this was released in 92, but Still, it's like the same vein. It's like we were looking back on Jimi Hendrix for something, or the, I don't know. The Paul Westerberg stuff, I will agree. It, like every time I listen to this this track list of the soundtrack, it, like that really is highlighted for me. Um, oh yeah, both of those tracks. the The funny thing is that the Love Mongers was actually nothing more than Heart, and um, and I love that because nobody does Heart better 
um, or, or covers Led Zeppelin better than Heart. Like, in, if you've ever watched, um, I think it's the Kennedy Center Awards Center for things. Yes. So they played Stairway to Heaven with like this huge orchestra. It's very like a huge choir. It's very moving. And Heart just has that same propensity of like playing just like Led Zeppelin at times. So they they have definitely the sound for that. Well, it doesn't hurt either that Cameron Crowe is married to Nancy Wilson. Oh, okay. Yeah. Deeper pull than I did, than I knew. <laughs> um, that the Spoon Man thing you mentioned on the special editions actually just, it, it says it's credited to Chris Cornell. So I don't know if that was just who, if he was playing like a demo himself on that. Yeah. I think it, it's just him and it's acoustic Spoon Man. Yeah. Okay. And then um, the, to round it off, yeah, the Smashing Pumpkins drown. That was definitely like an era of the, the Siamese Dream where songs kind of like did like a whole like progressive kind of in and out, like let's play with effects, let's slow the track down, let's speed it up. Like they were definitely, you know, playing with some ideas there. So to give it like an eight minute long song <laughs> at the very yeah. end for, for for the Smashing Pumpkins, I mean, they were very iconic and important for the time, but um, in their own way. And like they were mainly from Chicago. They need to trim that song down. Yeah. For what I remember, I thought they were from Chicago, not even uh, they Seattle. Are. So it's like, you know, it's kind of a weird pull for that whole deal. But and Mud Honey, I can give or take Mud Honey. They were known in the scene, but I, that's that's one of those things where if you're known as a live band, like sometimes it doesn't always like translate the best into great tracks. Uh, sort of similar to you know Flaming Lips, for example. Like they can put on a huge giant production of a show but when you get the cd at home it's like i really don't want to listen to some of these tracks like it just sounds like i don't know just filler or whatever so but she don't use jelly exactly (laughs) she don't use jelly yeah Um, all right number four all right so i'm gonna knock out a big one for us um for number four i chose um one of the all-time kind of interesting um, experimental movies that we had watched during our lifetime. And it's kind of odd because I've never seen really an Oliver Stone movie quite in the same way as uh, the natural born killers. It was a movie that we both adored. And um, I, I was for a my, fan. for my, for my own, <laughs> for my, for my own viewing pleasure, the story the the basis of the story of Mickey and Mallory, it's like part Bonnie and Clyde, but it's also, there was a couple kids, Charles Starkweather and Carol Fugate, this guy who runs off with a girl and they kill like 10 people all through Nebraska and I think into Wyoming. And there's actually a Bruce Springsteen song about this pair. And the Bruce Springsteen song is called Nebraska. And there's a, there's a movie about these two called Badlands with Tommy Lee Jones. So there's a lot of parallels between Mickey and Mallory and these two yeah but this um the movie was very experimental in the way that it was shot i loved like everything about the the dutch angles the the weird tracking of the uh of the camera to the the filters used and the it didn't it switch from like animation uh one no it was like it black and white to like blown out colors okay the dutch tilts all over the place Um, yeah um, the thing I loved in, in even Scorsese movies was the, um, they call it the halo of lights or something like that. It, it's like the giant over, over the head, um, lights that they right. use for like some kind of effects. Um, 
it, it was very iconic in the 90s and just basically all that playing around and experimentation there was even like a comedy segment like meant to be almost like a sitcom in the middle of the movie like uh-huh. where uh, Rodney Dangerfield plays the dad yes uh, the, the abusive father to Juliette Lewis's character um, Mallory and like just these weird black humor moments that like all throughout the entire movie and it, it keeps you guessing as to like whether or not you're supposed to take these too serious or you're supposed to make them the bad people or you're supposed to make them the, like whose side are you on it's supposed to like totally mess with your brain so in the middle of this um trent reznor of nine nails went ahead and produced a um a soundtrack for the album or for the for the movie and it just everything flows so well throughout that soundtrack like from beginning to end it plays like a movie in itself just the way that the movie clips are kind of interspliced with actual songs you get um super random singers and bands uh, up until like even dr dre and the dog pound <laughs> i mean <laughs> yeah was, i saw i saw the dog pound i was like i don't remember that song on there. that's kind of random yeah everything in that in that soundtrack flowed really well but i didn't really dig like the whole dr dre edition i, I remember at times we we're just like sitting there going like why is this, is this <laughs> playing <laughs> like yeah, it, it, it takes you out of it like there's no hood or streets like feel to the entire movie. And then all of a sudden it like takes you in like gangster rap and you're like, eh, I don't know about this, but it's it's a hard left turn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, I love the L seven track. The Patty Smith track is super controversial in its own right. And um, was even covered by Marilyn Manson. You've got Bob Dylan's version of you belong to me, which is beautiful. Like I, don't know a better song to kind of like throw some movie quotes under than like the guitar playing in that track was just like one of the best moments of that soundtrack to me nine inch nails with burn and a warm place which is interesting because um i mean burn it was a totally creative uh, song for the album and so they they were taking major risks just by throwing in some random song but it it totally worked at least for fans of Nine Nails, I don't know what it meant to the rest of people. Well, well up play- until until two thousand four, this soundtrack was the only place you could get this song. Right? Yeah, that's true because uh, they didn't, they didn't put it on any kind of re-release um, anything. Or and of course, I love the Warm Place by Nine Nails. I mean, you can't go wrong with playing that. No, the version of something I can never have is different which I always enjoyed, which if I don't know how well you remember closure, which is the nine inch nails documentary that came out in 97, there's footage of him. They're like in a hotel room. It's him and like Chris Renna. And he's like playing, playing the piano part and they're recording it to put on the soundtrack, which I always thought was very cool. Yeah. I caught that. I love that AOS track. The history repeats itself. I could not find anything else by AOS, but like the singer, I guess was like from the, the eighties with like one album and so i remember going back in time like trying to re- t- trying to go to like a record store looking for aos everywhere and i'm like who is this and they never had anything and this was also the first time i, I heard the um the two it, it's a mishmash of two jane's addiction songs um right. for that track um ted just admitted and then it goes into i put a spell on you i guess right it's been so long since i sat and listened to this album it was a very unexpected grouping of artists and composers and I very much, you know, very like, much like the movie, it was trying to be uh, sort of a controversial mix with like the, the additions of some of those 
those tracks, of course, the Patty Smith track. And um, just by like throwing in sort of more world um, music from Nusrak Fatih Ali Khan and some uh-huh. of these, you're like, who is this and why, <laughs> why are they in this movie? Yeah. I thought it was really interesting because it's like to think like of Trent Reznor looking at all of these different artists at the time, like, and actually trying to like be in his head. Like I couldn't, I couldn't ever picture him like just kind of sitting at a, at a stoplight listening to Dr. Dre, like over and over, <laughs> like, it's just it's a weird, you know, like I, I'm sure that there was like some business decision in that, like, cause I knew that they were working to get together at one point. But- right. Well, they're all, it's an Interscope album and they were all on Interscope. That's true. Yeah. I love that they put Lard's Fork Boy on there because Lard is nothing more than Jello Biafra and Al Jorgensen. So you get like that, the hardness of ministry with the craziness of the dead Kennedys. <laughs> and like, ah! exactly. <laughs> so side, I love, side I love note that. to that. I, I introduced Mrs. Bob to some dead Kennedys last night. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. What was the verdict? Uh, not, she didn't really say much, but I played a certain track, which I won't say out loud, but I'll say the initials TDTF. Mm, okay. <laughs> yeah. I got, what does that mean? I'm like, hold on. That's a great track. This, this album actually introduced me to Leonard Cohen. Mm-hmm. I was not terribly familiar with Leonard Cohen. And that guy has a voice that is stupid. You're exactly right. I mean, the guy has a voice. He's definitely has such a prolific career in his own way. Yeah. But when uh, you hear when you hear him, he just like comes over like the voice of God, going like everybody knows. <laughs> you're like, who are you? <laughs> like, yeah. You're freaking me out, man. Uh, he must be God. He's Canadian. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the you know it's funny, and I I have a feeling as we touch on certain topics, this might be a reoccurring theme. The the difference of listening to say Burn by Nine Inch Nails when I got this at age thirteen, and like listening to this soundtrack and listening to that song, jamming on some like NBA Jam <laughs> or Sonic the Hedgehog as a as a portly boy, you know, probably shoving my face with French fries. To now at age forty, and I've got it on. It's five thirty in the morning, and I'm doing bench presses, and I have that song on the dichotomy of where you are in your life or where I was at age 13 in 1994 and at age 40 in 2022, you know, it just kind of makes me laugh sometimes. And still, still gives I, you motivation in your own, it's a, your own way. It's like right. And I, I have a feeling that's going to like talking about certain songs down the road that that's going to come up of like, well, you know, at this age I was eating McDonald's listening to this. Now it's, it's my, my workout mix, bro. Yeah, it's the same thing with everything. I mean, like I'm I'm listening to like a, a huge amount of prodigy at work. Like like for whatever reason that intensity like really gets me up and going and like really working pretty hard. So it's like You're like, "Hey man, I'm a fire starter." <laughs> that's so much I the pressure. I mean, I'm I'm like one of those bad fans. It's like, "Hey, there's so much more than that." But it's <laughs> it's it's really true where you just like sit there and listen to it like cuz you're psychosomatic at a insane. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's a it's a certain amount of aggression like people get from like motorhead or you know what i mean like it's it's the sword noise isn't it it's the that's what really does it i love it that's the magic you got any, right, other, well, uh, any other uh talking points on natural born killers or uh i mean it's got a Dwayne eddie song on it which if none of you out there and 
in podcast listening land are familiar with Dwayne Eddy. He's a guitar player from the 50s. It's real Southern. It's real twangy. I enjoy it. I think his probably most famous song is uh, Rebel Rouser, which is on, on the Forrest Gump soundtrack. That's, you know, a good song. Uh, Cowboy Junkies, it's a good cover. It's decent. I actually probably enjoy this one more than the Velvet Underground version. I'm sure somewhere, somewhere, some hipster is striking me dead. And then, well, the L7 song speaks for itself. So. Uh, Patti Smith song, again, not going to say it. <laughs> uh, it's interesting because this is a Flood remix. And I, I'm right. a huge fan of Flood and like his work with like U2 and, and Nine Chanel's, of course. Back in Baby's Arms, I love that, that transition. I was looking at Batonga in Batongaville. Yeah, <laughs> Robert Robert Downey Jr. in this movie just chews the scenery, and I love it. Like, I still see him in any movie, like watching Avengers, watching Iron Man. All I can hear is Wayne Gale. <laughs> you know, just him talking like, because it's Wayne Gale. And then there's Tommy Lee Jones and his ridiculous ducktail haircut. Right. This movie is just so off the rails of its time like like starship troopers it is a social commentary mm. and you know of 90s america and our mickey mallory born batter they products of their environment and some interesting social questions and subtext if you peel back the layers and you want to really discourse about what the movie is yeah it's over the top and it's ridiculous but it's us, right? Mm-hmm. We're we're a generation raised on TV and sitcoms and all this other stuff. And ask the question, you know, are we the product of our environment or are we just born that way? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of up to you to decide. There's Bob's philosophical existential minute for the show. <laughs> we were all smarter. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> the audience is now deaf. <laughs> <laughs> Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> and I, I think that leads us to what our last one on our numero, list. Numero uno. Okay. All right. So my number one. Oh, it's a big one, kids. Cream of the crop is my macho man would say. I, uh, the cream of the crop, I rise to the top. I picked 1994's The Crow. Yeah. Because no... As much as I love grunge rock and I love singles and I I had picked Natural Born Killers and, you know, we'll, a little inside baseball. We did talk a little bit before this about, you know, what we picked and if there was duplicates. So I pulled Natural Born Killers off mine because, you know, I figured I could find another one. Not that big a deal. But The Crow, I mean, The Crow, The Crow, The Crow. I mean, such a good flick. Brandon Lee is iconic in this movie the the source material the source material is everything i loved about being quasi dark and scary in the 90s right you know the black hair the white face makeup um i mean the movie as a whole it's good it's not great i mean it was one of the first big comic book movies really um and if you've never read the graphic novels i highly recommend them i have a hardcover version and if you're into any of the groups that are either covered or on this album, 
James O'Barr, the author of The Crow, sprinkles in references to Joy Division and The Cure and Peter Murphy from Bauhaus. So just going over the track list, track one, the banger, probably one of the best two Cure songs to come out of the 90s as a huge Cure fan. It's burnt. I, it's so good. It's so good. There is no other Cure song from this decade that sounds like it. Mm-hmm. There's very few Cure songs that sound like it at all. And like a lot of other Cure songs, the B-sides are almost always better than what you get on an album. And this made it to their B-sides collection in 2004, but just awesome. We got Machines of Loving Grace, the Golgotha Tenement Blues. It's a fun song. It's got, you know, the 90s industrial vibe. The next banger on this album, Big Empty by Stone Temple Pilots. I mean, they slapped this all over the trailer. Mm -hmm. Right. I didn't understand the words to this song. (laughs) I mean, for years. Damn the tiger. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I tell you the truth, I don't understand what a lot of Stone Temple Temple (laughs) Pilot songs are about. And, out of the two of us here, Nate's the music person. I'm the lyrics person. And I'll take a deep dive. But other than like uh, Interstate Love Song, they're not exactly very direct or anything. But Big Empty, such a classic 90s alt-rock song. And I'm going to leave track four till the end. So we're going to come back to that. Wait, what's not uh, to Ray- understand? What's not to understand about flies in the Vaseline? <laughs> <laughs> where's marriage she smoked my last cigarette <laughs> right. um the rage song i don't really care uh, that never fit me one never got me with that one the violent femmes track color me once pretty low key for the femmes it's really mellow and laid back and, and i enjoy it uh ghost rider by the rollins band i didn't know that was a cover till much later it's a cover of a suicide song but <laughs> I don't know. It's fun. You know, it's about the comic book character and it's just Rollins like ghost, you know, and he's just doing his Rollins thing on it. Except the part where suicide song is pretty horrible. (laughs) I don't know many good suicide songs. No, it's a little too avant-garde for me. It's it's no wave and like slapping chains against a keyboard. Some hipster is probably cursing us and, and, you know, getting all uppity in his skinny jeans about it. It's about the subtext. Yeah. But Ghost Rider, it's a fun track. I like it. Uh, Helmet, Milk Toast. They use it in the movie. Again, it's got that proto 90s rock industrial thing. Pantera, The Badge. Another song I didn't know was a cover till much later. It kind of stands out as why is this on here? Because it doesn't fit, you know, the, the, the goth aesthetic, I guess, of the movie or the soundtrack. Right. But it's still, I mean, it still slaps. It still rocks. I listened to it the other night. It's like a song about the uh, about the cops, right? And isn't it like a, yeah. por- a point in the movie when the cops are trying to get to uh, Brand, uh, uh, the Crow? Eric Eric Draven. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, let's see. And it's got clips of Taxi Driver in it. I found that out right, much later. Right, right. Uh, for Love Not Lisa, Slip Slide Melting. Eh, you know, just they probably got on this and that's the only thing they ever did. Yeah. Uh, after the flesh, my life with the thrill kill cult. There's a there's a fun industrial dancey dance song. Right. Uh, Snake driver. Jesus and Mary Chain. This was probably my first exposure to the Mary Chain yeah, and well. Snake Driver. Not my favorite song. 
That's yeah, okay. They had that whole era when that like kind of crazy effect in the guitar, right? Yeah, that was the Honey's Dead automatic era. Okay. So not my favorite. Uh, Time Baby 3. It's a good song. The band's in the movie. Uh, I heard a rumor that they did actually want to get Nine Inch Nails in this movie and they just couldn't make it work. Hmm. Uh, Can't Rain All the Time. Hmm. You know, I want to like it. It's one of the most <laughs> famous quotes out of the movie. Um, I, I Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, it, it, No, it takes me out of it. I, I don't really dig it. If you can uh, go to your Google machines, kids, and do a, a deep Google dive for It Can't Rain All the Time by Hangman's Joke, which is the band in the movie. And there's a snippet of them actually playing the song. And as a rock song, it kind of works. But this one, it just it's it's made for the movie and it just sticks out like a sore thumb more than the Pantera song. Yeah, uh, I my my take on that was like it, it comes up in the, during the credits. And yeah, it's like it's like I would rather just like shut the movie off before I hear that at all, because uh, I think I usually did. Yeah, I can't I can't stand like I, I wish I could like omit that from like a, a CD in some way. <laughs> right. Like purposely scratch it up. And then, you know, let's let's get to the elephant in the room. Uh, Dead Souls by Nine Inch Nails. It's a Joy Division cover. Uh, sonically, sounds much better than the cover. The, their drum sound, just amazing. It's got that Dower Spiral era piggy drum sound. It's got those super crunchy guitars. Uh, Trent does a real good singing of it. Not my favorite Joy Division song at all. It's a little bit all over the place with lyrically. It's you know, I mean, they use the word conquistador in it, right? That's hard to rhyme things with, and I remember that always really standing out to me because before I got into Joy Division, I had heard this song, and let's see, I got this. I got this for my 13th birthday, I think. Which, by the way, I found a picture of the other day. You're in it. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> in your in your chuck of boots in your downward spiral t-shirt <laughs> that's beautiful that was, yeah. that was a lovely era you might have to start using some pictures of us as the show artwork oh, yeah, um, I, don't, I don't see why not <laughs> but i remember hearing the song and so this is 94 so i had the downward spiral i had pretty hate machine i had broken and i knew now not i wasn't as lyric focused then as i am now but i knew kind of Trent Reznor's writing style like lyric wise it's he's not this poet laureate by any means and it's very blunt hit you in the head with this is how I feel or this is what I want to say and I hear dead souls I don't know it's a cover and I'm like okay they keep calling me all right I get that and then it slaps you in the face with conquistadors who took their share and it's <laughs> well that's left field like what are we that's talking a, about now yeah like that's the we're talking about spaniards like <laughs> what is this about the crusades or something and it just other than that it's it's just a great cover and this is a good album and i love the crow i love the movie i love the book i had a honorable mention for the crow city of angels soundtrack yeah which i think most famous for hole's cover of gold dust woman Mm -hmm. but uh, as an echo to this soundtrack bush covers a new order song called in a lonely place which is one of the last two songs they recorded as joy division 
Hmm. And for Bush, it's actually a really good cover. Uh, cool. But no, the the Crow soundtrack, I love it. It it's very '90s, but I think it still stands up on its own as an album too. R.I.P. Right. Brandon Lee. Yeah, totally. Um, all music critic Kenneth Bridgem called the uh, the Crow soundtrack some of the most important metal, goth, industrial, alt rock, and grunge acts of the generation. The category that it's put under in all music as well is is also called zeitgeist. So it it mm. very much it very much speaks for like the era of just like summing up the general sound of basically everything in the time. Oh which, yeah. Um, this came out in '94. So I mean, '94 honestly to me is like my favorite year out of the '90s. Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's pivotal. Huge. Even though, I mean, definitely, I would say pivotal more than favorite because, like, Kurt Cobain died that year. There's just a number of things that just took place that, I mean, Downward Spiral was was released. There was just some. No, let's let, let's let's talk about like the the head wrap around you have to do of two of the biggest alt rock albums of the '90s. Super unknown, Downward Spiral get released the same day, in the same year. Like right. that's stupid, right? It, but it, yeah, that's just the 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 sign of the times. I mean, it was like there were so many you know essential bands to remember. You know that came out at the time that you know they touched our lives. I'm not too sure you know how much they touched everybody else's lives, but like the year before, Nudero came out. You know, there's just pivotal albums like galore throughout the '90s, but um, for for soundtrack wise, I mean, The Crow is definitely up there with some of the better ones that you'll ever see. This album mm. and and The Downward Spiral was like, oh, I want to wear black now, right? <laughs> like, like this is this is the sound I like. This is this is the content I like. Like, I, I want to yeah, veer more into this area now. I mean. I don't know about you. The last time I dressed up for trick or treating for Halloween as a kid was this year. It was 1984. I went as the crow. Oh, nice. I mean, my my costume's super janky. Like the makeup wasn't that great. And yeah. I was in a black no fear sweatshirt. Don't judge. But like hearing this and hearing the downward spiral, it was like, oh, this is this speaks to me, and this is something. This is an avenue I want to pursue. So. You know, this is if you were in your teens, early 90s, the Crow soundtrack was your was your gateway into goth. Or what would become goth in the 90s, it was this and like interview with a vampire, but more this. And I'll pivot that with with exactly what they're experiencing right now with so much anime like content being put into everything is that there's so many kids that are like dressing up as anime characters or they're cosplayers or they're. You know, they're like having their own individualism through that in the same way that, you know, the crow was kind of like the anti-hero um, of the time where it just sort of spoke to, mm -hmm. you know, those those uh, the people like me and Bob. I mean, it just, you know, there's there's just it, it's funny because around the same time, there was a lot of that same feeling and it wasn't necessarily dour. It wasn't something in the way like we weren't, <laughs> we weren't <laughs> hanging our, our heads every day, going to work or going to school, going like, Oh, I'm such a depressed teen. But I mean, I guess some days were like that, but I mean, cause we were in our teenage years, but 
but at the same time it's like it, it still had like a drive and an aggression behind it like when i heard pantera i wanted to like know what this is all about and like it spoke to both my punk brain and my goth brain and my metal brain you know it just it fired all those synapses and all of a sudden i'm like oh what you know like what what is this feeling i'm i'm feeling but definitely yeah the the cure's burn track like bob said i mean it's one of the better ones you can ever find by the cure it's it to me it sounds like a disintegration b-side um the way that it just had that kind of like build up and atmospheric background noise and that sort of thing i don't know if you right well and which is weird yeah it it is very disintegration-y and it was released after wish came out wish came out in 92 and this sounds like nothing on wish mm-hmm. wish is you know friday i'm in love doing the unstuck high you know it's a real upbeat more poppier album i guess mm-hmm. you could say so it, it it sticks out a little bit and the funny the, the funny trivia about this is that I was looking for other soundtracks that The Cure might have been on, like maybe afterwards or whatever. Guess what the very next thing that they were on was? Judge Dredd. You knew? Okay, you already knew. Okay. <laughs> I mean, they they performed a, a, a the lead song, Dread Song, <laughs> which is like not as. Have good, you listened obviously. to it? A little bit. Oh, it's like, awful not awful but i wouldn't call it like like a theme song for judge dread like i don't know hey man it, never give up <laughs> what the whole song's about i i i guess i you know i just don't see the the like i see every time i hear the, the cure i see robert smith i don't see robert smith and judge dread like <laughs> mixing at all they are so, strange bedfellows so i yeah i left it there whenever i was listening to it um but definitely stp was in the trailer um now the funny thing was that like listening to the rage track (laughs) was that the same way that that dead souls had the whole conquistador talk it's like the 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 rage against the machine track was speaking about like my people were left with no choice but to decide like like and talking right. about like like genocide and i'm like what does this have to do with a crow <laughs> like <laughs> this isn't this isn't goth right i mean it was like it was like listening to dr dre and natural born killers going like i don't know if i if i dig this <laughs> it did have a, a it did have a moodiness to it like it kind of broke down at points and had this kind of funky like low-key kind of bass and drum like kind of sound to it but well yeah they got that they got that pretty good rhythm section yeah and it wasn't over the top like like tom morello actually like kind of like hung back a little bit like he didn't like go full-fledged like here's my guitar and here's all the sounds that can make you know like like a lot of yeah he wasn't there yet yeah like other rage tracks like he was still very much like first album rage against machine kind of Mm. kind of flow now Here's what's funny. I was researching all types of like different um, soundtracks and you would never believe what soundtrack this almost takes its structure from is from 19. Huh? (laughs) Oh, you're going to tell me or do I get a hint? Well, yeah, you can, you can, uh, well, okay. It came out in 1990. Okay. Um, It stars Christian Slater. Oh, pump up the volume. Yes. And I'll tell you why, like, as I was going through this track list going like, this is very odd because like, okay, you have Concrete Blonde, you have Pixies singing Wave of Mutilation, you have Henry Rollins and Bad Brain singing Kick Out the Jams, you have Peter Murphy bringing his his darky side with I've got a miniature secret camera. I don't know what that's about. (laughs) You've got Soundgarden, Sonic Youth, Cowboy Junkies, 
um oh. above the law which is a hip-hop uh act produced by dr dre and then 10 other songs that aren't in the movie or aren't on the soundtrack including leonard cohen <laughs> oh ice t descendants playing wiener snizzle no less <laughs> <laughs> you have beastie boys you have, right. you have was not was and then to round it off the the very end of the other other sound songs on the movie is a, a band called urban dance squad which the song sounds ex- like almost exactly like rage against the machine so it's like it was tripping me out like like this is very odd <laughs> like how all these sounds sort of you know they just wedge up against each other in almost the exact same way as like the crow sounded Um, especially because Henry Rollins was on there and like all these weird coincidental people were kind of lining up with all of their other, you know, favorite Mm -hmm. soundtracks. So I don't know. It was, it was just something in that, but yeah, I didn't know that the, uh, the crow city of angels, this, the sequel to this, um, not the Goo Goo dolls movie. (laughs) It's the, (laughs) it's the city of angels, the crow movie. And yeah, Hole was on there with Goldust Woman. Filter released a single called Jurassitol, which was it had its own music video. I remember it's not a very good song. Um, White Zombie, I'm Your Boogeyman. They also had that's a, not bad. Had a yeah, it's not bad, and it had its own music video too. And you also get like PJ Harvey, you get Bush, like Bob said, you get Tricky, Seven Mary Three, Corn, <laughs> Deftones. Oh. <laughs> I mean, it's all over the place with like sort of like the new metal, you know, trying to like creep in and and then what's funny is that even Hole is on the third one um, for that soundtrack as well, as well as Filter, as well as Rob Zombie. <laughs> so like they were really trying to like stick close with all these names. Even Tricky was on that one, um, and your favorite, The Flies. <laughs> Ooh, they we're getting into. On- when we get into 90s earworms of the week, <laughs> they are going to be front and center. Yeah. So, so yeah, there's all these, uh, and, and don't, don't even bother checking out the horrible Edward Furlong version of the crow, by the way, <laughs> like, Oh yeah, it's pretty terrible. A friend, a, a friend group of ours, like watched that and we're just cracking up the entire way. We're like, this is the kid from Terminator 2. Mm-hmm. Like he's just like ballooned and whatever, but yes, the crow iconic um just skip the last track and you'll be good um so for my top number one is it was kind of an odd uh choice because i didn't really see this movie until much later but it was definitely a 90s flick and one of those soundtracks that i thought was was extremely important as far as um like we were talking about with structure with the quentin tarantino's movies and um just the introduction of new music to our ears um it was it was fun to listen to the whole way through it really made watching this this rather long movie pretty easy going because every scene kind of really worked well with the music and the movie i'm talking about is casino oh i for some reason i thought you were going to pull out the saint (laughs) no that's (laughs) and that movie is airheads (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) no. Um, So Casino to me, like I came upon Casino very late and um, it was probably like 2008 when I got a copy and I just kept watching it like over and over again. Like it was just one of those kind of movies that had its ups and downs. It's to me, it's an easy watch. 
to some it's probably like an elongated like get to the point kind of movie but just the story i mean it and it's not much of a story at at, at best i mean but it's very like about the characters and about their like inner drama and you get kind of lost in just their eccentricities and whatever so if you've never seen it i mean it's it's martin scorsese as best he's known for making these giant movies and i mean this isn't at all like once upon a time in america with um robert de niro i don't know if you've seen that movie but yeah but that extended cut of that is like well over four hours and you're like okay <laughs> like what are we doing here you know so watching casino is a lot easier i feel and it's got so many great personalities throughout the entire movie but what really makes it you know like i said easy to watch is the soundtrack he's known for putting you know rolling stones in a number of his movies just because he's such a, a such a fan but i I don't even see that he used them once on Casino, which was interesting. But yet you get, I ain't got no satisfaction by Devo. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I think what helps is it, Casino is a long story, so it runs through decades. Sure. So you can, you can mix a lot of stuff. So you get like that the Muddy Waters. Right. Right. And, um, and definitely, I mean, you go from like listening to the muddy, listening to muddy waters to like the moody blues and you get a little piece by Les Paul, a little, you know, guitar part. And that goes into, I don't know, Roxy music eventually. I mean, that, that whole Roxy music part is so like love is, a, is the drug is the movie, the song on the movie. And it's such an iconic, you know, Roxy Music song, but it's so downplayed. Like it's in the background of a scene where they're like talking over it. And it's so, you know, atmospheric. Like it just brings you back to that time, like Bob was saying, that it totally works for those those eras of the movies that the, that the movie is in. One of my favorite tracks is actually uh, was the Jeff Beck group that even has Rod Stewart in it, which is one of the better guitar tracks you'll ever hear, like in my opinion. It's just a wild song altogether. Then, like I said, Devo's got I Ain't Got No Satisfaction, which is it's funny because that's it's like a play on the Rolling Stones necessary addition to any soundtrack by um, Scorsese. And The House of the Rising Sun by The Animals. You got Little Richard. <laughs> you got um, they love Louis, Louis Prima on this, which is yes, a singer. they do. Yeah, um, it's just such a cool like soundtrack to me. And whenever I listen to or watch that movie over and over again, it's it's like the the dialogue almost shares the scenes with parts with the lyrics and everything else are just sort of you know butting heads so it's it's a good listen if you've never really either watched the movie or like really listened to a soundtrack before in my opinion no it, it's got a good mix and i'm trying to remember it's hard to separate goodfellas and casino but i think they used gimme shelter by the stones in the trailer mm. and it's not in the movie that could be. I think they. I think they actually use it in the movie in Goodfellas. Okay. I think they used it in the trailer in yeah. this movie. But I mean, Knights in White Satin is well. The good thing about Knights in White Satin on here is that it's the short version, so it ends and it doesn't <laughs> go into the weird like story part. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. Roxy Music, Love Is a Drug. That's a that's a jaunty fun number. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can't have a seven. You can't have anything that takes place in the seventies without Fleetwood Mac. That's <laughs> right. just that's Especially just go your own way. I'm pretty sure that's just the law. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, you really run the gamut here. And I mean, House of the Rising Sun, that's that riff is so good. Yeah. So good. And Eric Burden just sings his little heart out on that song. And talk about like a creepy dude. Like I was watching the the film uh filmed version of that song, like how they used to do back in the sixties, and just like have him line up and he's just like staring deadpan into the <laughs> to the camera. Yeah, he's just emotionless. And I'm like, oh, this is very like odd to watch. But looking into your soul. Yeah, yeah. Like a little weird man from Omen. Yep. No, that's a good pick. That's not where I thought you were going. So that's actually a pretty good pick. Yeah, it was between this and honestly, hackers. <laughs> I guess my money was on the saint, but I was wrong. Oh, on the saint, really? Well, I mean, because the hackers is so much more. It's it's sort of like um, what do you call it? Reservoir Dogs versus Pulp Fiction. It's like the, you would never have the Pulp Fiction soundtrack in the same way if it wasn't for the structure of the Reservoir Dogs to me. And in the same right. way, uh, I, I don't think the Saint would have gotten its like pull um, in its own way, unless like Hackers was really there to kind of lay down the formula of like here, here's like a giant house and techno laden soundtrack, like just go crazy. <laughs> but um, because you know Hackers was like huge. I mean, I, I discovered electronic music at that time, and I think between you know the production of nine inch nails and the various performers that were doing that work in techno music i thought it was so cool that you could kind of create your own music and i think that's hack really the what planet. Sold... Hmm? hack the planet right hack the planet <laughs> acid burn <laughs> which uh, one of uh, i think it's one of uh, angelina jolie's hotter parts is like whenever um johnny lee miller she was actually married to for like yes Yes, she like was a, a blip, but Johnny Lee Miller also featured in train spotting. Right. And, um, but like whenever he's like daydreaming or dreaming or whatever of her, like making out with him. And that was a pretty steamy scene for her back in the day. And uh, one of her only like short cropped hair kind of roles. It's kind of an interesting choice, but yeah, it's not a pixie. It's something else. Yeah, it's like a, I don't know what you would call it, but um, yeah, something it's like, a, like a 90s crop, like a Republica crop. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like, you know, just like Eminem said back in the day, hey, kids, you like Primus? Watch me signature Hell's Reef, one of my eyelids. <laughs> um, that it, I felt like uh, Eminem was kind of playing the role of um, the marketing uh, strategist for these films. And, and I'm kind of glad that they did because otherwise there would be so fewer soundtracks to partake in and and i think that was important for our youth oh yeah i mean since we didn't have streaming and everything else you yeah. know this was a good way to get a mix of songs and maybe stuff you hadn't heard of and got you into other bands right definitely and even yeah there's tons of bands on a lot of these soundtracks that have me asking why is this song on here but then eventually i mean if you just listen to keep it on play and you just take a long car trip or whatever you're going to do. And you just listen from start to finish. You'll almost feel like you're back in the movie. And I think that's the most important part of some of these soundtracks that are out. Yeah. Movie and movie in the time period. Yep. That's been it for us at the uh, boys in the nineties layer. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> and you can find us on Twitter at boys, B O Y Z N the letter, the nineties pod, uh, right in, at gmail boys in the 90s b-o-y-z-i-n the 90s 
at Gmail. Instagram is boys I N the 90s pod. Facebook, which I added, is boys with a Z in the 90s pod. And those are all of our socials and emails. So write in, leave a comment, smash that subscribe button. And the credit card you want to use is the one ending in. <laughs> yes. Zero, zero, yes. one, two. Yes. All right. Well, that does it for us today. And uh, and if you have any questions or whatever, just write in and we want to hear from you. If you have any suggestions for later shows, we'll definitely take a look at them. And yeah, we just want to kind of touch on everything that we experienced in the 90s little by little. I was up above of it, but now I'm down in it. <laughs>